In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present among us here in the most blessed sacrament, we are setting out, beginning our Lenten observance. Today we are on the Saturday of the first Saturday, uh, the Saturday after Ash Wednesday. It's not even the first Saturday of Lent yet. <laughs> the first Sunday of Lent is tomorrow. <laughs> and so we're not even at the first Saturday. It's the Saturday after Ash Wednesday. These days are just kind of bonus days um, of Lent that it all, it all counts, but it's a chance to kind of uh, get warmed up <laughs> and kind of see, see where we're going with the, with the Lenten season and where our Lord is inviting us to go deeper and Lent can really be a, a type of good spiritual retreat for us and to really consider it like a, like a time of extended retreat can help us enter into it in an appropriate way uh, and the way that we kind of need at any given time. It is, um, there's all kinds of different retreats that People go on in different spiritualities in the church. Some retreats, uh, for example, like the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola are, uh, in the words of Elon Musk, extremely hardcore, right? They are, um, it's intense, it's going to be, it's going to be silent, um, extreme silence, only talking to your spiritual director for 45 minutes a day, no other talking at all, no reading except for scripture, uh, and uh, four hours of prayer, space for a day, including right in the middle of the night. And so it, it's extremely hardcore, right? That's, uh, that's pretty intense. Other retreats um, are a little bit more, okay, we're just going to have some times of prayer, um, maybe some preached meditations, uh, but we don't want to leave retreat more exhausted than we started. And so uh, it can be Blessed Alvaro, Del Portillo, the successor of St. Jose Maria, described retreat as a peaceful encounter with the Blessed Trinity. That a retreat can just be a, a peaceful encounter with the Blessed Trinity. Then maybe there's other things that are called retreats. Um, these are things that maybe happen at some places in, for example, high school ministry, where it's like, well, we're going to do um, trust falls and make felt banners, and that's going to be retreat. Um, okay, well, what, uh, what's our Lent look like, right? Are we, are we diving into an extremely hardcore Lent that we're going to, like, that's the goal. We're giving up, give up everything. I once had a spiritual director when I told him the different things I wanted to give up for Lent, that I'll try maybe this or this or this. He just said, well, give up everything. <laughs> just give it all up. <laughs> that Lent lasted until about the Saturday after Ash Wednesday. I didn't even make it to the first Sunday of Lent. Um, it, uh, you know, or I don't know, maybe <laughs> are we, did we kind of enter into Lent with this idea that we'll, um, we'll do some team building and felt banners and uh, we're not really going to engage our Lord. We're just going to 
do arts and crafts and um, whatever that looks like. Okay, well, that maybe needs a little correction too. Um, what's, what's the, um, you know, what, what, are we, what are we looking for? How are we entering into this time? And I think if we want to ask how we do something, the goal, uh, we should ask what the goal is. Like, what's, what's the purpose? How we do this should be influenced by what, what do we want the end to look like? What do we want this to look like when we're all done? And so what's, what's the goal of Lent? Like, what, what is the, when we get to the end of Lent, what's our goal? What, what should happen? Just like with a retreat, like, what's the, what's the goal of that? Well, the goal is conversion and holiness. Like, those are the goals of Lent, right? Conversion and holiness. And again, some of us, because of some deep hard-heartedness, we need to go extremely hardcore to kind of get to conversion. Others of us, because of our state in life, we're already trying to live a degree of holiness. And so how do we just, we want to increase that. We want to, we want to grow in that holiness. We want to grow in our relationship with God. And particularly when we talk about growing in holiness, growing in holiness objectively means growing in the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, right? To grow in holiness means to deepen our faith, our hope, and our love of God. And that's not original. That actually comes from St. Jose Maria, uh, that he, in his homily, The Conversion of the Children of God, that was delivered on the first Sunday of Lent, he talks about this is the goal, right? What better way to begin in Lent? Let's renew our faith, hope, and love. The spirit of penance and the desire for purification comes from these virtues. Lent is not only an opportunity for increasing our external practices of self-denial. If we thought it were only that, we would miss the deep meaning it has in Christian living. For these external practices are, as I've said, the result of faith, hope, and charity. Right? Faith, hope, and charity. We grow in our relationship with you, Lord. Jesus, we want, we want to be better friends with you by the end of Lent. And Lent is not meant to just be rigorous, hardcore, so I can look down on everyone else and judge them, or so I can... It's, Lent is not meant to be a diet plan. I've been stepping on the scale every morning since Ash Wednesday, and I'm happy with what I see, but like, that's not the goal, right? It's not about dieting and, and dropping some weight. Like, no, what is Lent? to grow in love, to grow in love of God, to particularly grow in these virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And so what does that look like? Right? What does it look like to, to deepen these virtues in our lives and so that our, our faith, hope, and charity can be, can be living, right? It's alive. Um, and they're most alive when faith and hope are objectively alive when they're motivated by charity, right? When charity is kind of influencing our faith and our hope, then they're alive. When we lose that love of God through mortal sin, we may still have faith and we may have hope, but it's dead faith and it's dead hope because it's not, it's not motivated, it's not bolstered by, by love, um, by our love of God. And so what does it mean to have a, a living and an operative faith, hope, and charity. 
and how, therefore, what, is, what does the end of Lent look like? It's good to really consider, like, here we are at the beginning. What, what do we want the end to look like? Like, when we get to Easter Sunday, what, what do we want it to look like? If we have no idea what something well done is, right? What does is, what is success really look like? This question really caused me to stop. When I was first made a pastor, I, was, I went out to a conference probably six months after being named a pastor. I was out at a conference, and there were a lot of other priests there, and we were talking. I was talking about some different things I'm trying to do in the parish. And this friend of mine just kind of stopped. Like, you know, I was talking, okay, I'm going to do this, and we're going to change this, and we're going to start this. And he just said, like, just stop for a second. What does success look like? Like, what does it really look like? Like, what do you want at the end of the whole thing? Not just I'm going to make this one change or we're going to try to deepen this or increase attendance at that. But what does real success look like? What do you want this to look like? And that, you know, kind of caused me to reevaluate that maybe the thing that was the low-hanging fruit and the easiest thing to do wasn't the first thing that needed to be tackled because what would lead to the end goal? And what's the end goal? Holiness. No, heaven, right? Each of us, we want to each get to heaven. And we want to bring our families and our friends there with us. And heaven doesn't just begin after we die, but we should be living the lives of a life of holiness now. When we get to heaven, right, eternal life, if you've been baptized, we live in grace. We're alive in the grace of God. So eternal life doesn't begin on the day we die, right? The day that you stop breathing, your heart stops beating, that's when your eternal life began. No, like eternal life began the day you were baptized and you were adopted into the life of the Trinity, right? And we become children of God. That's the beginning of our eternal life. And so the goal is that the only thing that would change on the day that my, I stop breathing and my heart stops beating is that. And those two things, right? That my, I stop breathing and my heart stops beating, but the love of God continues. And that the love of God that we're living right now, that's, that's going to continue on. And so we're investing in that. So the end goal is heaven, is holiness. And would I want that level of love of God that I have right now? Do I want that for all of eternity? Like, you know, that's how good heaven is going to be. Heaven will be as good as our love of God. And so I should be investing in that now, right? I should be wanting to, to love God now. And therefore, you know, yeah, if I were to die today, I, I would want to be like, okay, I wish I could have invested more, but I've given all I have. I, I've given the most I can, Lord. And so, you know, for all of eternity, like, yeah, the love of God I have for you today uh, whereas if we maybe, I'm going to cut corner, no, I don't need to do that, and I, this could wait till tomorrow, uh, and we, if we cut corners in those and we kind of make excuses, well, then I'm going to have a diminished love. Um, there's the, you know, the people have the ability nowadays to invest in like a retirement plan, right? And uh, some advice that I was given is, you always want to put in as much as you can possibly afford. Like at the time, you got, you got to pay your daily bills. You got to do what you can. But then like you want to give as much as you can. And if you can, in a good year, if you can give the maximum uh, contribution, 
to like an IRA or something, like give the max, like it's better to put it in now and give the maximum you can each year. Well, Lord, today there's only, I've only got 24 hours today and I want to give you all of them. I want to give you the maximum I can take. I'm investing today in something that'll pay out exponentially in eternity from now, right? In eternity from now, this is going to be paying out. And so that's in our Lent, as we go through our Lent. We want a living and active faith, hope, and charity. These, St. Paul says, these three things remain, right? Faith, hope, and charity. And even faith and hope in heaven, they, they pass away in a way because faith gives way to vision. And hope is fulfilled. But it's ultimately charity. It's love of God that's going to last for all of eternity. And so what does it look like right, to really grow during Lent? How do we grow in faith and hope and charity? And, and a faith, hope, and charity that impacts all of our actions, right? Every, every action being impacted by this. So it, it changes how we, how we act, how we live. Well, we could go to the Gospels and see examples of these three virtues and different teachings on them and how, how they can um, help, how we can grow in them. With regard to how we grow in faith, right? How do we, how do we grow in faith? What does it look like to have real faith? In chapter 8 of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, we read, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion's asking for, for a real favor, like a, a, a deep need. Here's this, this servant who he loves, who's been so faithful to him. And now this is, this is a, you know, a military officer, and, but he cares for those. Here, here's a, he's got a certain natural virtue. Just think about that. Like He doesn't, servants, slaves, even the word in Greek would be slave. So it's, you know, whether he's a servant or a slave, whatever the distinction there would be, okay. But this man has a certain natural virtue that it's not expendable. Like, okay, well, if this guy dies, let's buy another one. Um, you know, or the Roman army will provide someone else. But he cares for it, right? He has a natural virtue. He cares for it. Here's, Here's someone that's been so good to me and has helped take care of me. And uh, I want to do what I can. And so he goes. He goes to Jesus, right? He goes to intercede for, for this, his servant. And asks Jesus to heal him, right? Or he doesn't really even say that. First, he just says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Notice he doesn't ask for a healing. He doesn't, he, he just, I'm just going to tell Jesus what's going on. And a deep faith is like, I'm just going to tell Jesus. And whatever happens, happens. I don't need to say, so you need to do... And again, military officer, used to giving orders and being obeyed, um, which he'll even, he even gets to later on, right? But no, I'm just going to tell Jesus what's happening. And Lord, when we come to you in our prayer, do we sometimes, oftentimes, maybe if we're honest, just say... Jesus, I want you to do this, and please do that, and do this, and I'm giving the orders here, right? 
Or we need to take it, the, um, the example of this centurion, this, this officer. Just tell Jesus, here's the situation. Here's what's happening. And Jesus responds, okay, I'm going to come and heal him. Like, I, that's his decision. I'm going to come and heal him. And, even, and then it gets even crazier. Because that would seem to be what you wanted, right? That would seem to, this seems to be going the way that we want it to go. My servant is paralyzed. Okay, I'm going to come heal him. Great, let's go. No, the centurion kind of stops him. No, no, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He's a Gentile. He, Jesus would have been ritually impure if he entered into his house, right? He would have been able to, to worship in the synagogue. He'd have to be purified. Now, again, he's God. He wouldn't actually have to be purified because he is purity itself. But according to the custom, so he, like, look, I, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you come under my house. But now I'll give you a suggestion. I know that if you just say it, if you just say it, he'll be healed. Like, and I know that because I give orders and people follow them. And so if you just say the word, whatever word that is, he'll be healed. He'll be fine. And Jesus marvels at this. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Right? Here's a pagan. Like, this man is a pagan. He would have worshipped pagan gods, he would have worshipped the Roman emperor. He is a pagan. And he makes this tremendous act of faith in the power of God. Of God himself. Only say the, all you gotta do is say it. You just say a word, and he will be healed. Jesus marveled. He marvels at it. How incredible. Like, God marvels at the faith of this pagan. That, that's what it, this total trust in God. Like, I, I, I don't know. If it was me and I wanted something done, like, here's the person that can do it. Um, it's like, you're coming with me. Like, you're gonna come with me. I'm not leaving until you come with me. Um, I'm not leaving here without you, Jesus. You're, I'll drive, right? I had a, something recently where I wanted someone to do something and I didn't think they were doing it fast enough. And it involved, you know, some form of transportation. And I'm like, I'll, I'll drive you. <laughs> like, I'll dri- it's, bet it's easier and more convenient for you to just get in my car and I'll drive you there to do this thing that you need to do because I need it done. And <laughs> I need it done now. Um, and, like, he doesn't do that. He's willing to, Lord, you know, Jesus just says the word, go. Go, he'll be, he'll be fine. He will be fine. And he, he goes. We have another similar situation in the Gospel of John um, with the healing of the, um, the healing of the official son, right? This is not just kind of on the other part of the town. This is from Cana to Capernaum. And here they come to him. And again, you know, my son is lying at home. Please, please come heal him. And Jesus says, go. Um, go, your son will live. And the man believed, St. John tells us. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went. Now again, imagine the courage, the trust that that takes. Right? Here's this man, his son is dying at home. Jesus is a few towns over. 
He finally gets to him. And Jesus says, okay, go home. He'll be fine. Oh, oh, the courage it takes to not like bring Jesus in tow. And again, what if it had gone wrong? Like what if, it, what if this guy got back home and there's his wife saying, okay, where's, where's the Messiah? Like you went to go get him, right? Oh, he said it would be fine. Like you didn't bring him? Like you didn't, you didn't think to bring him back here? Uh, but the trust that this man had, Jesus said it'll be fine. It will be fine. That's faith. That's an operative faith. That's a living faith where whatever our Lord says, right? We, we really, we just bring our need to him. We don't even tell him how he's supposed to do something about it. We know that he desires our good. We know that he desires ultimately heaven for us, right? He wants us to be with him for all of eternity. And so we just bring him our need. And even sometimes when we ask for something and we don't get the answer we want, okay, um, maybe that's not for our good. Right? We, St. Paul asks that the thorn in the flesh be taken away from him at the end of the second letter to the Corinthians. Right, Three times I played, prayed that this thorn would be removed from me. But God knew, like, no, actually this affliction, this whatever that suffering was, like that's going to make Paul the preacher into St. Paul. And so, well, Jesus, whatever you decide, whether you're going to make the situation better, whether you're going to give me what I want, or whether you know you're going to strengthen me that in this situation I can be living for real holiness. Jesus, you know. The, the faith, right? And if our faith isn't so great, well, we ask for it. We got to ask for it more. In the transfiguration, uh, after Jesus comes down from the mountain and the, uh, the father comes to him who's pleading for his son and the apostles were totally incompetent at being able to do anything for this boy and so finally the father says, like, Lord, if you, can't, if you can do something, if you can do something. Now again, maybe he's speaking a little hastily there because Jesus says, if you can, like if I can, how long am I going to be with you? Faithless generation. Um, everything is possible for one who believes. And the father cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? It's not a yes or no. It's not a red light, green light. Like, Lord, I, I believe, like I have faith but I need more. I need a lot more. I believe. I, I have something, but help my unbelief. Like clear away those areas where I'm still doubting, where I'm still really not sure. And so faith, right? We want to grow in faith this Lent, on this Lenten retreat. Whatever practices we're doing, are they helping to actually grow in faith, in that real relationship of trust with God? Similarly, hope, right? The second theological virtue, hope. That we are, um, hope is that we believe that the things of God, right? God, Jesus himself, and the promises he makes are possible for me. That it's not just someone else. It's not just for, for you know, a generic, it's, it's actually for me. That this is real for me. I have friends who were telling their family that they're pregnant uh, and it's going to be a nice thing, you know, a really cool thing, and I'm really happy for them. And, um, but they, um, they didn't invite me, right? It was going to be like this big thing, uh, and they're announcing it to their family that they're pregnant, and they, um, they didn't invite me to it. And I'm like, well, 
okay, like, okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, that's not a problem because I'm not part of your immediate family. Uh, and you didn't have to invite me to this pregnancy announcement and this family celebration because um, I'm maybe a spiritual father to certain people, but like, it's okay. I don't need to be invited to the family pregnancy announcement. Um, it'd be cool, but it's okay. Um, hope is that, like, actually, I, I belong. I am invited. Like, I should be invited to this, and God is inviting me. I belong in this situation. This is for me. Hope is that uh, these promises are not just for generic people, not just for someone else, but they're for me. That I, uh, I can really be um, transformed by God's grace. In the Gospels, we see a great example of hope in the faith of the, the Canaanite woman, this, this pleading with this woman. So again, another, another pagan, another Gentile, whose daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And it seems like Jesus is not her God, right? It, it seems like Jesus is the Jewish God, and he's not my God, and so I, and my God's not, my God may even be the demon possessing my daughter, right? At the end, when we look at it objectively, like, she's a pagan, she's worshiping a false God, that false God very well could be a demon, and so her daughter's severely oppressed, severely, and she begged Jesus, she's begging him, right? Have mercy, O Lord, son of David, right? Have mercy. And Jesus doesn't answer her. At first, he stays quiet. Right? He's, he's not saying anything at all. And even the apostles at a certain point are like, look, can we, get, can we get rid of this lady? Like, she keeps bothering us. She keeps bothering you. And Jesus doesn't get rid of her. But he's still, you know, he's staying quiet. And so the apostles are, um, we're teaching a lesson here. And, um, and then Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right? But she kept, like, yeah, it seems like I'm only a Jewish God. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But um, she keeps begging him, and she knelt down, right? She's not letting go. She's not going to let this pass. Lord, help me. And even again, you'd think Jesus at this point would be like, okay, yeah, you're persistent. But no, he even went a step further. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the... The word is dogs. It's really not. It's kunaria. It's puppies, right? It's the little puppies. My parents have a little dog that will eat any human food you give it, and it's really not good for her a lot of times, right? Some of the stuff that we humans eat isn't so good for her, um, but she'll keep asking for it. And, and so Jesus says, look, you, like, the little puppies, if they're asking for the food, sometimes it's not right to give it to them. Their stomachs can't handle it. Um, but she makes the point, Lord, even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, right? That the children don't eat. Um, how many spoiled brat kids like, don't want to eat their dinner. But it's like, well, our dog would love that, right? Yeah, you don't want it, fine. But, like, the puppy will totally eat it, right? And even the puppies, they eat the food that falls off the table. Um, my parents haven't had to clean their kitchen floor in years because um, it all gets taken care of. Well, and Jesus then, again, woman, great is your faith, right? This tremendous hope that she had, too, right? Deep hope. This is for me. This isn't just someone else's God. This is for me. God's promises are, are for me. I think particularly in re with regard to parenting, there could be an element of like helping raise children in the faith. And so it's for my children. I want my children to be holy. But in Lent, we also have to pause and say, like, but holiness is for me too. Like I, I need to be holy. 
I, Jesus wants a relationship with me. Yeah, I want my kids to be holy, but he wants me. He wants my heart. He wants my love. And then finally, love. Right, love. Um, we love God, and, but the love of God is that, not that it's any kind of good, okay, how do we, how do we grow in loving God? Okay, we do actions, things like that, whatever. But primarily, how do we grow in love? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do I grow in love of God the Son? By realizing that it's not about, I'm not the one taking the initiative. Love is not, I love God so much because I'm so full of love because I'm so great. No, Jesus, you love me. Like you love me so much. Jesus loves me first. Jesus loves me in my sins. Jesus loves me in my brokenness. And when Jesus loves me that much, how can I not return love for love? Right? The way that we grow in love is we see the model of the love that Jesus has for each one of us. And when, when we allow ourselves to be loved, love returns love. Always, always. If Jesus is loving me, I return love. Right? I, my, my human nature can't help. But when someone just continues to, for your authentic good, just continues to love you, we can't not but love in return. And so if we want to grow in love this Lent, we grow in love by realizing how much God loves us. And that Lent is not primarily about something we do to earn God's love but rather we clear out the spaces and allow God to love us. In one of the Psalms, there's a line, be still and know that I am God. Uh, but the word in the Latin, the way that St. Jerome translated it, is vacate, right? It means to vacate, right? To kind of clear out. And so in Lent, as we kind of clear out some of the clutter, it allows us to just be loved by God. Vacate, clear it out, get rid of the clutter, and know that God loves me. He loves me so much. And so as we maybe can take some of this time for quiet personal prayer, we could just let ourselves be loved by God. And Jesus, you just want to love me. There's nothing we do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to um, make you love us more. You love me because you're good. This is love, that you loved me um, first. And then I just return love for love. And so this is our... This is our goal for Lent, right? On this Lenten retreat, what do we want it to look like by the time Easter arrives? That we've grown in faith, hope, and charity. We've grown in our relationship with Christ uh, so that we can believe in him more, we can hope in his promises in a deeper way, and above all, we can allow ourselves to be loved by him and love him in return. We ask our mother uh, to pray for us. She's the model of all virtue. So Mary, pray for us and help us along the Lenten path. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.